0: Produced by WETA Classical in Washington, D.C., listener contributions are what make Classical Breakdown and WETA Classical available today. In the break, Evan and I share with you how public radio has touched our lives and how you can help ensure the future of classical music on the radio by making a contribution today at weta.org classicalbreakdown classical I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From WETA Classical in Washington, we're your guide to classical music. In this episode, I'm joined by WETA Classical's Evan Keeley, and we're exploring the big world of theme and variations. This is a subject that's easy, but also complicated. But don't worry, we show you four specific types of theme and variations, and what to listen for as we explore five centuries of music. Plus, stay with us to the end to hear about some unexpected variations on a theme you know like the back of your hand. Theme and variations really seem like naturally, maybe one of the earliest forms of music because all it is. At its root, after all, is a melody, a theme, and then changing something about it instead of repeating it exactly the same. I think the idea itself existed before and, of course, transcends our own Western classical music traditions. And in modern practice, theme and variations, I think they're a great vehicle for virtuosity. Each variation can be like a juggler adding another knife or a chainsaw into the mix, makes it more exciting, even maybe musically dangerous. But Yet, as we know with things in music that seem rather simple, things can get quite complex. I think the, the Webster's Dictionary definition of variation is like uh, two lines or something, but the Harvard Music Dictionary definition for variation is over four pages long, and it, it spans like four centuries, Evan.
1: Right, John. And one of the things that's fascinating about this topic is what exactly constitutes a variation is itself... Not always clear, and this is certainly not going to be a comprehensive view of everything which could possibly be under the category of theme and variations. But I think we can cover some of the basic principles that one very often encounters.
0: So let's look to where this begins for us. What might be an early example of, of theme and variations that we would recognize in our tradition? Looking at the 16th century, it takes hold theme and variations, that is, in Italy and in Spain, evolving first from the humble dance, I think. A musician in this time period, the Renaissance, the 1500s, they're very well versed in dances, either as a folk musician or also for uh, royalty, of course. But, dance tunes, while catchy and fun, they tend to be short. So you repeat them, because otherwise your dance is like 10 seconds long. So this naturally came about having variations with each repetition. So we have this dance pasamezzo we can listen to for an early example of this, and hear how with each repetition, there is something different. personally love this uh, kind of music too, Evan, and it just sounds very flowery, very evolving, sounds very natural as it does a little variation with each repetition.
1: And you know, if it's a dance, if people are dancing to this music, it also has a kind of a drive to it to hear something Mm. that's familiar and yet different. It kind of keeps the energy moving. And beyond dance music, We can
0: look at an early example of theme and variations by Luis de Narves. This is also from sometime in the 16th century. This work is called Differencias, or as you can imagine, Differences. And you can hear one of the most obvious variation tools, changing the rhythm around a bit by adding more notes
1: Luis de Narvaez, a Spanish composer who lived in the first half of the 16th century, was a Vihuela player. Vihuela is a member of the guitar family. And this uh, work that he published in 1528 is the earliest printed theme and variations in European music. And the themes tend
0: to be, as we've heard so far, very simple, very short, what we would describe as an eight-bar phrase, Another way to describe that is think of a poem and think of just a couplet, a very simple couplet as opposed to something four stanzas or multiple pages long. So after hearing some of these early examples, we can start to look at how this evolved and developed in the 18th century, and we can start placing variations into different categories too. And we're going to look at four now specifically, in Evan, it's hard to not start with Bach and his Passacaglia in C minor that he, that he completed in 1722.
1: A lot of pieces by Bach can fit in the theme and variations genre, but this one is one of the most memorable and, to me, one of the most exciting. And you have, in this case, uh, this is a ground bass variation. A uh, ground bass is, as the name suggests, a bass line, and the bass line is the theme. Pasicalia and Chaconne, by the way, are terms that are often used interchangeably in the 18th century, but in this case, the Pasicalia in C minor of J.S. Bach has a repeating bass line. It's repeated almost exactly the same throughout the variations, and this makes the variations sound continuous. There's this Baseline starts the piece repeats again and again there's a kind of a claustrophobic quality to this piece that makes it so thrilling and almost almost terrifying in the way the the repetition is just this relentless power
0: what i love about that when you're talking about it evan how it sounds continuous it's it really sounds like um like a flower blooming again and again and again and it's that bass line that repeats incessantly that that gives us that whole feeling What if instead of having a bass line being the theme and staying the exact same, what if the melody, um, on the other hand, stayed the exact same while the other parts, even the bass line even, do the varying? That would be constant melody variation. And I want to take a second to say, if these terms just fly right out of your head, the minute you finish this episode, these musical terms, that's not a problem at all. It's just listening and kind of understanding some of these ideas, you'll then be able to then, well... Put them into practice as you're listening to them. So no worries about not remembering any of these terms. I forgot many of them. So constant melody variation as it suggests means the melody stays the same. It might go to a different instrument or something, but it's going to be intact, the, uh, the theme that is throughout the the variations. Now here's how that sounds. This is from the slow movement from Haydn's Opus 76 number three. This is the also the Emperor hymn we heard in the last episode. You'll hear the theme, and then when it comes to, uh, to variation, a different um, instrument takes up the melody. And so this is a long example, so I've had to shorten it a bit. You'll hear a bit of the theme, and then you'll hear really how it comes back in for a, a variation and how it stays the same. some reason, this also makes the the theme, this constant melody variation, it makes the theme sound nostalgic to me uh, somehow, as if this would be something, a tune would everyone would just really love and have some kind of sentiment towards, and maybe that's a reason of keeping it the same. I don't know. I just have that feeling with it.
1: It's almost tempting for me to read into it in ways that may or may not have been the composer's intention. This is this patriotic piece that Haydn wrote, and it seems like the the sentiment is sort of enduring through all kinds of different changes that are happening in the world. But uh, whether or not that's what that actually means, that particular piece, uh, there is a kind of, a you know, we have the this idea of a constant melody, a constant harmony, and that constancy is what gives the piece a drive and a sense of familiarity with something different coming in that kind of keeps our interest and keeps the piece exciting. So we've had ground bass variation, constant melody variation.
0: What's another one, Evan?
1: Another type of variation would be the constant harmony variation. And as the name suggests, uh, whereas with the others, constant melody, you hear the same melody over and over again, a ground bass variation. That's the bass being repeated. Here's where the harmony is a harmonic pattern is repeated over and over again and this may be a little bit harder to notice if you're not a musician although i think the human brain picks up on patterns pretty well it's hard to demonstrate but one great example of this kind of constant harmony variation style is the famous so-called goldberg variations uh, keyboard work by Johann Sebastian Bach some consider this to be the greatest set of variations ever composed and depending on repeats and tempo and so forth if you play the whole set of variations the performance can be over an hour uh just this incredible musical journey there's so much going on hard to explain it you know john we could do an entire season of classical breakdown Definitely. just on the bach goldberg variations so just to briefly say the theme that's the source of the variations is an aria and we hear this beautiful melody in the right hand of the keyboard part the upper part and that's very charming and beguiling, but it's also a way of Bach kind of tricks us because the theme that's going to be the source of the variations for this piece is actually in the bass, and it's the harmonic pattern, very sort of slow, uh, long chords that get repeated over and over again through all of the variations.
0: This one is so interesting. The one, Box Goldberg Variations. Yes, we could do an entire season on just on just that alone. It feels like if you have a guitar, maybe you're a guitar, maybe you uh, write some songs, writing uh, 10, 15, 20, or even close to 30 songs here, but you're using the exact same chord progression for each one. I mean, this is also a basis of jazz, right? Playing over changes.
1: Absolutely. Jazz, blues, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of, as you said at the beginning of the episode, John, there's many different musical styles that employ theme and variations techniques.
0: A small subcategory of this one that I want to uh, put on people's radar is this string quartet, opus 2 number 6 by Haydn and what I'm talking about is a subcategory called constant bass where the cellist here is playing the same bass line over and over and over again but it's not the theme like a passacalia. this is just the accompanying bass line but it's the exact same for all the variations that are occurring over top and I think this is also a way composers could um, sort of look back to the earlier periods of a ground bass variation without actually having to do it The fourth basic way to do variations is with melodic outline variation. This is when you keep the surrounding harmony basically the same, but you're embellishing, you're ornamenting, and you're playing with the melody. And this is probably the most familiar sounding variation idea, I think, to listeners today. The best, the easiest example of this is a set of variations by Mozart on a tune we know today as Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or maybe the Alphabet Song. But to Mozart, it was the French folk tune, A Vous dirai-je, Maman, if I'm even saying that close to correct. But as we listen to it now in the background, we hear that familiar tune, as simple as it can be. Mozart adds in, two repeats because, well, he wants to lengthen it a little bit. Remember, you can't just have a dance that's 10 seconds long, like we said earlier. But in the first variation, we hear clearly what Mozart's doing. He's embellishing the outline of the melody. This is so familiar, I think, for all of us listening, but a similar one is also varying the rhythm drastically, going to a different time signature, adding syncopation, something that Mozart does in variation uh, number five. And we're going to put a place to listen to this work on the show notes page because you'll hear how Mozart combines several of the other ideas we just talked about, right, Evan? Because this isn't just you choose one type of variation and then that's it. But as time goes on, composers are combining different ones.
1: And bear in mind, too, this very famous piece by Mozart, one of the things that's famous about it is he wrote it when he was very, very young. So it's fascinating to think about how even at such a young age, not only did he have this incredible wunderkind talent as we all know but that he was able to grasp this concept this basic fundamental concept of music so in such a sophisticated and imaginative way and you can see how that paves the way for the strides that his genius will take through the course of his life so we've just talked about
0: four different categories of variation here the ground bass variation the bass is the theme and repeats always The constant melody variation, where the melody is staying the same throughout all the variations, maybe going to a different instrument, but it's always intact. The constant harmony variation, where the harmony stays the same through everything. Then the melodic outline variation, where it's playing with the outline of the harmony. And as we hear, there's so many things that can just happen from just these simple ideas. And like we said, we can't go over all of the major examples, but as time moves on, we see this idea not just being for solo instruments like the keyboard or maybe a smaller ensemble like a quartet, but even appearing uh, within symphonies. Haydn's Symphony Number no. 94, Surprise, that surprise uh, slow movement itself is a set of theme and variations. So we see it appearing in symphonies, but as a movement, not as an entire uh, standalone work yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what happens after 1800, after Handel, Bach, Mozart, and Haydn have left their mark on theme and variations? We'll get into that right after this. Okay, so we wanted to take a second here to share with you how public radio has shaped and touched our lives, and how you can ensure this podcast and WETA Classical remain strong. Classical music on the radio played a big part in my music education growing up, and specifically my love for opera, which also led me to one of my most gratifying musical experiences in my career so far. In high school, my first job was delivering flowers. So on Saturdays, I would get into this old van at the florist, and I would drive around, and this is like 2003, 2004, so there's no music streaming on your phone. I just had the radio to listen to while I drove around delivering these flowers. So I would listen to the local public radio station, and there was a show on cars, and then the Met Opera broadcast would come on, and I just left it on, and it really opened a whole new world to me because I was in high school band, but the nearest orchestra was over an hour away. I hadn't really heard any opera before. I thought I wasn't interested. It was just never presented to me. But I really fell in love and depended on those opera broadcasts on the local public radio station, and not just to make those delivery shifts go by faster. This led me to seeking out more opera, which led me to studying opera in multiple classes at conservatory, and then in 2010, I was part of the premiere of rostokov's opera A Dog's Heart with the Dutch National Opera, which remains one of my most memorable experiences in music. Now, just as in conversation, listening is a critical quality to have when working in music, and those hours spent listening and picking apart the Met Opera music in my head each Saturday as I drove around really helped me prepare, actually not just for music, but in so many areas of my life, all because of classical music on the radio. WETA Classical, which produces this podcast, continues the tradition of carrying the Met Opera broadcast and classical music on the radio in Washington, D.C. Any contribution is welcomed and valued. And right now, if you make a sustaining gift of $6 a month or an annual gift of $72, we'll say thank you with a WETA Classical mug. Contribute online now by going to weta.org slash classicalbreakdown. That's weta.org slash classicalbreakdown. With your financial support, you'll help ensure classical music on the radio continues to play and inspire listeners of all ages. Now for you, Evan, how has public radio shaped or touched your life?
1: Well, it's funny that you were talking about driving because one of the ways in which uh, public radio has been a part of my life, is when I first moved to the D.C. area over a dozen years ago now, I brought an old car with me, which when I got to this area, didn't pass inspection, and I happened to have the radio on, and it was WETA Classical, and I heard the promo saying you can donate your car to weta classical and i thought whoa what a good way to get rid of this car and support public radio at the same time i've been an avid listener to weta classical all that time a huge fan of your front row washington john and I also love Choral Showcase, uh, WETA Viva la Voce, the station that sings. And of course, like you, I love uh, hearing the Met broadcast and opera matinee every Saturday afternoon at 1. And National Public Radio's From the Top is just an amazing show. I can hardly imagine life without these things. And I've never had to imagine life without these things, thanks to the contributions of our wonderful listeners and supporters. So if you enjoy Classical Breakdown and all the other great programming WETA brings to you, just remember this commercial-free source of beautiful music and thought-provoking content is possible because of you. That's right. It is with the financial support of listeners that
0: WETA Classical and Classical Breakdown are available today. And you can donate online at WETA.org slash Classical Breakdown to secure the future of both. That's WETA.org slash Classical Breakdown. Okay, now let's get back to Theme and Variations.
1: Well, John, we've had a fascinating look at theme and variations up to the end of the 18th century, and we had a brief look at some of the greatest composers in Europe playing around with these different techniques of theme and variations, Bach and Handel and Haydn and Mozart. So we get to the beginning of the 19th century, and as with so many things in European music at that time, the rules start to change, old structures and forms start to break down, and of course we can't talk about that without talking about Beethoven who was such a master at so many things but one of the things Beethoven was truly a genius at in my view and others feel the same is theme and variations he was really one of the greatest contributors to that the development of that genre and one of the ways in which he did this was in a late work of his the Diabelli Variations he wrote this in 1823 along with the Goldberg variations of Johann Sebastian Bach that we talked about earlier. These are considered to be among the greatest sets of variations ever composed. Now one of the things that's fascinating about this piece is you listen to the theme and uh, we're not looking at a little 8-bar theme or a a little short melody like we were with some of the other examples we talked about. This is a 32-bar waltz. And what's even worse about it is that there's really no discernible melody. Uh, Beethoven may or may not have referred to this piece as a cobbler's patch. We're not sure if he really said that. It is a kind of almost a silly little ditty, and yet Beethoven takes this and uses it as a vehicle to combine different concepts and different ideas about variations. But even the first variation pushes back on what we've heard so far. Instead of a variation that just steps in a different direction. Beethoven drops the waltz idea altogether. Uh, 3-4 becomes this 2-4 march. So what kind of variation is this if the melody is almost absent and he's changing so much?
0: Well, this would be formal outline. This is when aspects of the theme's form and phrase structure remain constant. But this this is now a general guideline. As you said, rules, regulations, things start to really break down things here can musically expand or contract. It's not so, uh, so fixed. And we see this here with the Diabelli variations, and it's happening mainly in the, uh, the 19th century. And Beethoven really, I think, um, reinvigorates theme and variations, the form, that is, as he did with a symphony and, um, and other
1: things as well. And he certainly rose to the challenge, didn't he, John, that we could, again, we could do a whole season of classical breakdown episodes on the Diabelli variations of Beethoven. Anton Diabelli was a composer and publisher. He sent this little waltz to 33 composers and invited each of them to write one variation on it. And then he was going to published them as a set. Well, Beethoven took a look at this and he said, I'm going to write 33 variations of my own on it. And he created this incredible set of variations. Remember that the Ode to Joy, the famous finale of his Ninth Symphony, is also a theme in variations. Beethoven really moved the whole idea of theme and variations to a completely new realm.
0: And as He's pushed this forward. We're getting closer now to the middle of the 19th century. We see theme and variations grow into standalone orchestral works, not a movement of a symphony or part of something else, but rather its own thing, like the famous variations on a theme by Haydn composed by Johannes Brahms in 1873, or the uh, symphonic variations by Dvorak in 1877. And we did do an episode on the Brahms-Haydn variations, number 77, which has some really interesting things about it to his own kind of um, rule breaking there. But we see a lot of these rules break down, and with that, this formal outline comes into existence, and also the fantasy variation category. Now, we're talking about two things here that are more abstract, obviously, than what we've done before. The definitions or guidelines for these are, are, are rather simple. Formal aspects of the themes, form and phrase, are, are remaining constant. And fantasy variation, I think we're going even further. The variations are merely alluding to the constructive elements, especially with the um, the melody. And we get works fitting into this category, maybe shoved into the category, uh, like Strauss's Don Quixote which it becomes hard to really demonstrate because Strauss blows past so many of the identifiable characteristics. This is similar to formal outline, I think. The the connections are kind of tenuous, but you can't have formal without fantasy or fantasy without uh, formal. I think it's one of those things you just... Kind of know whether that has this more fantastical um, element to it. Another example that might actually be better would be Edward Elgar's Enigma Variations. It's a fantasy variation, but the variations start and stop, so you can it's a little bit more compartmentalized that way.
1: And that's one of the delightful puzzles of music. The Enigma Variations of Elgar is indeed a mystery. We don't know what the theme is. He never revealed what the puzzle's solution is. It's one of his best-known and best-loved works. It's a masterpiece of imaginative variance, and yet we don't know what it is that's being varied. Yes, and and
0: just for me on a personal note, it's one of the pieces I have a deep personal connection to. And do I even understand it? I wouldn't even say I do. And that's the thing. With these categories, formal or fantasy, don't play for me some random set of theme and variations and ask me to differentiate between these two categories, unless it's that Strauss- or the Elgar we just uh, we just mentioned.
1: It's good to mention too how in the 19th century the form developed and various composers that contributed to it. Robert Schumann is a particularly important composer in the development of the fantasy variations theme. You look at composers like uh, Hector Berlioz and Franz Liszt who are exploring the transformation of themes and this even becomes really kind of stretching the whole concept here but you look at the leitmotif system that Wagner used in his operas and that can be a kind of theme in variations too isn't it John where you have these melodic ideas or these harmonic phrases that recur in very different ways through the course of a long work and they keep coming back to represent a different kind of a concept or a character. So that's another, to me, that's another way of looking at theme and variations as it's developing through the 19th century.
0: Yes, especially Wagner, um, ahead of his time with those uh, leitmotif ideas, which we still see today. Of course, you think of Star Wars and how those themes come back in, in and out of the movies. So as you might guess, going into the 20th century, things break down even further. I mean, we have terms that we've heard for centuries, like concerto or or symphony, and in the 20th century, they become almost unrecognizable as such compared to a century earlier. And like some of the standard old forms, we see less of them being composed um, in the 20th century. But Amy Beach did write a set of theme and variations for flute and string quartet in 1916. And Evan, we hear in this one how she's mixing all kinds of uh, concepts and... Just a striking thing to me is you think flute and string quartet, okay, this is really soloistic for the flute. The flute doesn't even play the theme. The whole thing is introduced without the flute. The flute introduces itself in variation one. So very interesting as she takes her own um, liberties with variations. I guess I would call those, if I had to guess, uh, formal variations.
1: And of course, John, we can't talk about 20th century variations without at least briefly mentioning one of the most famous sets from that period, the Paganini Variations of Sergei Rachmaninoff. And episode 69 of Classical Breakdown was a really interesting conversation that you had with WETA Classical's Bill Bukowski about this piece. So I would uh, encourage our listeners to take another listen to that one. I just want to mention very briefly, one of the many things I love about that piece is the the way that Rachmaninoff structures it. Variation one is the first thing we hear. And then you hear the theme, and then the rest of the variations. And there's something about that. It's, it's pretty simple, but it, it's just a, a marvelous way of bringing us into this incredible journey.
0: Yes, thanks for reminding us of that episode, Evan, because I remember now as you're describing it, there there are a couple of little variations that do some clever things that I think everyone can um, can listen. So we'll um, check that episode out, number 69. And an even more modern example for orchestra is the Symphony for Strings by Polish composer Grazina Pachewicz from 1946. She writes a set of theme and variations for the symphony's finale. And in this one, you can hear while her sound is very modern, she is using multiple variation ideas like we've discussed. And she includes one of the oldest ones, which is to just use subdivision, just adding more notes in, subdividing the uh, the theme, just like Luis de Narvaez um, did over 400 years earlier. So. It's, there's a lot of looking back and, and looking forward for these composers, easily for Pacevich, um who also, well, really like the music of Bach and um, older music. But when it comes to contemporary variations, Evan, which can sound so foreign and really esoteric, hard to understand, myself included in that... This example here is one everyone should listen to if they are interested in variations post-1900. It is the variations on Happy Birthday by John Williams, composed in 1995. The reason I think this is so key is because Happy Birthday has been permanently implanted into our brains, I think. So that means throughout all the interesting, wild stuff that's happening with these modern variations— any changes or partial inclusions of that theme. They're very recognizable, almost innately, when they pop out, like you jump out of your seat, oh, was that part of that, or that, was that part of that? You just start picking up on so many aspects that you just wouldn't otherwise with a very complicated atonal theme, for instance.
1: And the theme and variations idea, which, as we were saying at the beginning of the episode, John, is such a universal experience, I think because the human brain craves both familiarity and novelty, and theme and variations provides both. It's a paradox in which we're saying the same thing over and over again, but differently. And that's just a a vehicle for some of the greatest creative expressions in music that we've ever encountered. Thanks for listening to
0: Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment now to make a pledge of support at weta.org slash classical breakdown. Every donation has an impact, and right now, if you make a sustaining gift of $6 a month or an annual gift of $72, we'll say thank you with a WETA Classical mug. Contribute online now by going to weta.org slash classical breakdown. I'm John Banther. Thank you so much for listening to Classical Breakdown from WETA Classical.